Ruth chapter 3. Why don't you guys meet me there um, as we're going along in this four-week series in the book of Ruth. We've been looking at and we'll continue to look at God's providence. In week one, we looked at God's providence in our suffering. In week two, we came back and we looked at God's providence in our blessing. And this week, we'll look at God's providence uh, in our risky decision-making. So God's providence in that. And so if you haven't been here for the past two weeks, let me just take a few time to catch us up in the story. Um, this story takes its context or its background in the time of Judges. Uh, the time of Judges was a span that lasted about 100 years. During the book of Judges, during that time, the Israelites, the people of God, they disobeyed God. They went after foreign gods, idol worshiping, through all types of craziness. And then God would bring about judgment. And then they would go through the judgment. They would would cry out to God, and then God would deliver them. They went through cycles like this over and over again. Um, the book of Judges is a very dark, dark book. Um, you could read about it. Um, the consistent theme in the book of Judges is this, that people lived as if there was no God. And so during this time that people lived as if there was no God, emerges this story called Ruth. Um, this true story of a, of a young woman named Ruth. The, the story begins in Bethlehem. Um, the name of Bethlehem means a place of bread, but ironically and tragically, the place of, the place of bread has a famine. Um, a man named Elimelech takes his family, moves from Bethlehem, and takes them to Moab. Now, this was important because the Moab people were a people that the Israelites looked down upon, and not in the sense because they were just sinful people, but because they were a cursed people. They did crazy things. They're, they're, they were the descendants of an incestuous relationship between a man named Lot, who uh, got drunk, and him and his wife, not his wife, his daughter, um, just some weird down south type stuff, right? And, and, and they had a baby. And that baby's name was Moab, hence the Moabites. The Moabite people worshiped the God, and the way that they pleased this God was they would offer sacrifices to this God. So was this a, just a terrible place? And Elimelech says, there's no food here. We will go to this, this terrible place. Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and his two sons, Malon and Chilion. While they're there, bad things continue to happen. In the first few verses of the story, we see that, that Elimelech dies, and then Malon dies, and then Chilion dies, leaving Naomi, uh, this, this widow, she has no husband, and she's got no sons. What she has is her son's wives, Orpah and Ruth. And so there's just suffering all around, because in that time, in ancient times, if you didn't have a husband, that meant you didn't have protection, you didn't have provision, and you had no security. And if you didn't have kids, if you didn't have any children, that was equally as bad because it meant you had no future. You had no one to take care of you, or the name of your family would not continue. And so there's where Naomi is. She's had, she's had three funerals, two weddings, and no babies. And now she's at the point where she hears that Bethlehem has food now. And so she goes in a very intimate moment to her daughter-in-laws and says, I'm going back to Bethlehem, and I want you to stay here. And here's why. You guys are widows, and it, it's, it's terrible to be a widow in this time, but it's even worse to be a widow with no, no husband, no kids, and to be a Moabite. Because the Moabite women were looked upon as promiscuous. They were looked upon as a people that were just, just evil. So to have those things already against you and to come to Bethlehem would be terrible. So she says, stay here. And Orpah listens to her, and she stays. And then Ruth says, absolutely not. 
And we hear about Ruth and this profession that she has for her love for Naomi and her love for God. She says, where you go, I will go. Where your people, where my people, where you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. And so in essence, she says, I love you and I know that you love me and I will love your God. I will follow your God. Let's go. And so they pack up and they move back to Bethlehem. When they get back to Bethlehem, at this point, now we see Naomi is saying, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant or sweetheart. She says, call me Mara, which, which means bitter, because God had dealt bitterly with me. And so there's a position that she's in. Um, they're poor. They have no means. And yet God in his grace had provided through the law a means for sojourners and widows and, and, and people that were on the margins to be able to have food. And it was through the process of gleaning. And so what, what would happen is a man would own a field and God gave, gave restrictions on how far he can glean, how far he can gather the crops, and he would have to leave the edges so people would come, poor people would come, and be able to work to have food. Now, this wasn't a lot of food, but it was enough to put in their stomachs. And so Ruth now goes to work at this field, and it just so happens that she comes into a man named Boaz. So up until this story, we've had Ruth and Naomi, and then chapter two last week enters in Boaz. Boaz is a godly man. He's a guy that runs business well. He's a guy who loves the Lord. And I think at this moment, what we saw last week is, is Boaz being drawn to Ruth and having some sort of a crush on Ruth. Because you see the way she's working. He shows up. He talks to his manager. He goes, yo, paraphrase. He says, <laughs> he says, who's that? And they're like, oh man, she loves Naomi, she loves God, and she's been working hard. And his way of flirting was to give gifts. He goes, well, give her more and let her, let her hang out over here because that was his way of flirting. I, he didn't say he liked her yet because I think Boaz doesn't have any game, and we're going to look at that later. But this was his way, this was Boaz's way of saying, I think, I think I like her. And Ruth is receiving that, and she goes home to Naomi. And Naomi, who's like this, you know, this mother-in-law, is like, so where'd you go today? Where did you happen to work at? She, oh, some guy named Boaz. And Naomi's like, Boaz? Like, Boaz? Man, he's rich. I mean, I mean he's our relative. Uh, he, he's a close relative. He's our close relative to us. And you worked in his field, and he gave you all this? At this point, I think Naomi, Naomi knows there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity here. And that's where we pick up in Ruth chapter three. Before we jump in the text, why don't you guys bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this story. I pray that you would remind us um, that this is during a time in which people lived as if there's no God. And Lord, if we were honest and our eyes were observant, we would see that we live in the same times. And so God, we pray right now that you would draw near to us by your spirit through your word. Give us insight to the text. God, help us to see the great love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. When I first met my wife, we were working a sports camp for little kids. Um, it was a two-week camp, and I had, I, had a, I had a person in my life named Eli, a good dude, who told me what I'm supposed to look for in a godly woman. In the same way that Naomi was a mentor to Ruth, I had Eli. And Eli said, she's got to be godly. She's got to love Jesus. She's got to love Jesus more than you. She's got to kiss, date, and goodbye. Like all these different things that, that, all these different things that, that, that I'm supposed to be looking for for a woman. And when I met Holly at this camp, I was, after the first three or four days, I'm like, oh, all right. And and I, I wanted to get to know her. I wanted to be next to her. And so the, the sport that she was running was soccer. And I knew nothing about soccer. And I was like, oh, yeah, soccer. Yeah, I'm like, Pele. Let's, let's, <laughs> let, let, let me help you with that. And then it came lunchtime. And I remember the, the, the lady who oversaw the whole camp, she said, hey, we need someone to go make jugs of lemonade for the kids. And I'm like, I'm definitely not making any lemonade. And Holly goes, I'll make it. And I was like, you know what? I was just... <laughs> 
funny you should say that, right? And, and it was getting to the end of the camp, and, and I still didn't have her number. And this was a big deal because I didn't have a MySpace, I didn't Facebook. I know what you do now, you go online and you just stalk people and you, you know exactly where they are, you know what they ate yesterday, and so you can get all the information. Holly didn't have a Facebook, I didn't have a Facebook, so I had to go old school and get the digits, right? And so, so when I'm, I'm talking to her and, and she's just a really reserved person, I didn't, I didn't feel the, I didn't have the confidence, maybe I didn't have game. And, and, and to say like, hey, can I have your number? It just so happened that Holly was leaving to go back to the offices and then she left the jerseys there for us to play with the kids with. And she says, I need someone to bring the jerseys back to the office. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll bring the jerseys back to the office. And I knew where the office was, but I'm like, just in case I get lost, give me your number. <laughs> right? <laughs> Shady, I know. Um, and the worst part about it is I didn't even take the jerseys. I had somebody else do it. <laughs> That, 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 that right there is what happened. I would never tell someone, if I was discipling someone, I would never say, hey, here's how you get a girl's number. Be really shady and sneaky and get it, right? That, that, that's just what happened. I would not prescribe that. That's exactly what the book of Ruth is about, and especially chapter 3. The book of Ruth in chapter 3 is descriptive. What that means is all the narrator is doing is saying what happened. There are things in the Bible that are descriptive, and there's things in the Bible that are prescriptive, meaning this is how you do it. This is not how you do it. Just get, this, just get this clear. The narrator is saying, this is what happened. We pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not find rest for you that it may be well with you? Um, the narrator right now, and he often does in chapter 3, is pointing back to something in chapter 1. Um, Naomi says, should I not find rest for you? And I got to pause here because the verdict has been out for me with Naomi, meaning I have not been sure up until about two days ago if Naomi is a good guy or woman or if she's a bad woman. Here's what I mean. In chapter one, she's like, oh, no, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter because some bad things had happened to her. And then in chapter two, when she see that God had shown favor and grace to, to Ruth, all of a sudden she's like, oh, praise God. Amen. Right. And it's kind of like, man, she's kind of like up and down. At best, she's a cultural Christian, right? And the more and more I studied, the more and more I prayed, I thought, no, no, no. Naomi is just like us. Naomi is going through what the Bible calls sanctification. God is still working in her. She's broken. She's been mended together so that she may best glorify him and reflect who he is. So I look at Naomi and I was like, she just represents us. How many of us are on mountaintop moments? We don't walk around skipping and saying zippity doodah, hallelujah to the Lord all day long. Naomi says, bad things happened to me. And it was bad. But now God is doing good to me. God is showing me his character. God is faithful. God is good. And I look at Naomi and I said, man, Naomi, she's looking out for Ruth. She's not trying to be shady. When she says um, to her mother-in-law, says, I'm looking rest for you. Read with me in chapter one, verse nine. This is the prayer that she prayed. She says that the Lord may grant you um, that you may find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. What Naomi prayed in chapter one was that they would have rest. She's talking about her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, and she's saying, I just pray that God would find rest for you. And what rest meant in this culture is that you would have a husband who loves you, who cares for you, who leads you, who provides for you, who prays with you. I'm praying for that for you. And God in his providence just so often gives us the opportunity when we pray to be the means in which he answers that prayer. 
that God in his sovereign hand so often allows us when we pray to be the means in which he will answer that prayer for those people. And I think that's where Naomi's at now. She's responding to the character of God and saying, let me put this together. I prayed just several weeks ago that God would provide rest for this young lady. And now she just so happened to go to a close relative named Boaz, who happens to be rich. I'm not saying she's a gold digger. I'm just saying. <laughs> and now I may be able to find rest for her. And so she continues. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? Like, weren't you just hanging out with him? And I'm not sure if Ruth and Naomi came home and, and, and Naomi and Ruth were talking like, hey, did you think he was cute? And she's like, he's a little bit older, but, but ah, maybe I'm attracted to him. I don't know how the conversation went, but there has to be something here where Naomi knows something and Ruth knows something. My guess is Ruth at some level may be drawn to Boaz. Boaz. My guess is that Boaz at some level is drawn to Ruth and Naomi is trying to put them together and she knows knows she needs to act fast. In the same way when I was dating Holly in that camp, it was only two weeks long and it was going to end. I had to make some moves. Barley season is the ending. I mean, you can count down the minutes, you can count down the hours, time is ticking, and Naomi knows if Ruth is going to find rest with Boaz, things need to happen now. This was a tent job, and this job is just about to end. We got to make some moves. And so then Naomi uh, just makes this very awkward plan. Uh, very, very awkward plan. She continued. See, he is winnowing barley tonight. Anoint at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on a cloak and go down to the threshing floor. So what's happening here is at this time, the men would go out and they would work hard all day long and they would gather the crop and they'd take it to the threshing floor. Uh, the threshing floor was a hard surface so that they, they can thresh it and mix up the husk and the wheat and the chaff and then the, the kernel and all the good stuff. And they would work really, really hard. And when the sun was going down, they'd go hang out. They'd go hang out with each other. They would, they would get together. They would have fun with each other. And then they would come back at night when the sun has gone down because now the wind would be blowing in and they were able to winnow. And I know you guys know what winnowing is. Um, who doesn't, right? And so they would winnow with a fork and, and stick the fork into the harvest and put it in the air so that the wind would blow away the chaff, the wind would blow away the husk, and then what would drop would be the kernel and um, what would drop would be the grain. And so that's the process that's going on. And so Naomi knows this and she goes, not only are they going to have a party tonight, they're going to have a really big party because there's been a famine in the land for 10 years. And so now that God has blessed them, these guys are going to hang out. And we'll get to that later. And she says, this is what I want you to do. Therefore, wash up, girl. All right. So wash up. And here, here's what's happening. So you guys laugh, right? You laugh, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And, then, and, and what, 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 what happens here is Naomi tells Ruth, in essence, he's already been attracted to your godliness. He's already been attracted to your attributes, which is the first step, ladies, women, single women, married women. It's godliness. And he says, because when Boaz first heard of her, he says nothing like about her physical presence. He only hears she loves Naomi. She's submissive. She loves God. She's faithful and she works hard. She has endurance. That's all he knows. And then, and then and Naomi is saying, that's good. And that's good enough. However, he's never seen you outside of work. You got sweat stains underneath your armpits. Your hair is always pulled back. You're always sweating. You just got the funk box going on. So this time, when he meets you, put on the little Vera Wang Moabite for her and, and spray that on. Just, just get some nice things on. 
and then go down to the threshing floor. Trust me, it gets even more weird than that. And, and she says, she continued, put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor, and do not make yourself known until the man has finished eating and drinking. This is just what happened. This is not what you're supposed to do, right? But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and cover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Um, yeah. So, so, so basically, Naomi is saying, get dressed up, go to the threshing floor, observe which one is his, because that's important, right? You don't want to get to the wrong threshing floor. Oh, sorry, it's not Boaz. And it, go to the one that you think is his, hide out, Wait till he comes after he's been eating and drinking from this massive party. Wait till he's let, laid down and then go uncover his feet. Uncover his feet means uncover his feet. It doesn't mean like any, what you guys think it means, right? And at this point now, and he says, and she, he will tell you what to do. Um, at this point, my guess is Ruth, you would think Ruth is, 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 is thinking about and second guessing that whole your people will be my people. You know, she's like, man, your people are weird. If this, if this is the advice, I don't know. But yet in verse 5, this is what Naomi says, or excuse me, this is what Ruth says. She replied, all that you say, I will do. And so Ruth goes, and she gets dressed, and she gets done up, however they got done up back then. And she's going to go out into the night, and this is a huge risk. And here's why. One, it's dark. It's dark that no one can see each other. Two, she's a Moabite. Moabite women were known for being promiscuous, and so her reputation was on the line. And three, it's dangerous. All types of people are out drinking. It's a time in which people live as if they were no God. Chances are there's drunkards out there. She puts herself in danger of being hurt, being murdered, or even being raped. All to go get this guy. And I think this is a huge risk in those ways, and yet she goes. Verse 6, she says, She went down to the threshing floor, and did just what her mother-in-law had commanded her. And then when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. So many people stop here, and um, I read so many commentaries, and they say, well, when it says that he was drunk and merry, it doesn't mean that he was drinking. Usually when it means that he was drunk and merry, it means that he was drinking, and, and, and not just Kool-Aid, not just Dr. Pepper. Chances are Boaz had a drink. Now, I don't think Boaz was drunk, because what we know to be true of Boaz is Boaz is a godly guy. And so Boaz is at this party. He probably has a beer or two. I have no idea, light beer, dark beer. It doesn't matter. All, all I'm saying is Boaz is there. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you're a godly guy, you need to have a drink. I'm also saying this. I am saying this. Just because you have a drink doesn't mean you're not a godly guy. All we're saying is Boaz is at the party. Boaz has a drink, and then he leaves. My guess is it was time for him. He says, it's been fun with you guys. He gives him some daps, some hugs. You guys hang out. I got to go back and protect my, my, my food. I got to protect my money, in essence. People are living as if there's no God. I have to go protect. So Boaz now is walking by, probably saying hello to different friends and whatnot. And meanwhile, Ruth is probably somewhere in the background going, yeah, that's him. <laughs> and just which threshing floor will he go into, right? And so now that he's already eaten, he's already drank, um, I think this is also good advice too because in essence what Ruth is going to do is Ruth is going to define the relationship, right? She's like, I've been checking on Facebook. It says that you're not in a relationship. You're single. I just want to know if you want to be in a relationship with a girl like me, right? Um, you've been flirting with me by giving me grain and barley. I mean, who does that, right? Like, um, unless, unless 
unless you like me. And so she's going to define the relationship. And Naomi being wise says, listen, if you're going to go try to define the relationship, wait till he's done hanging out with his boys. Don't go snapping the finger in the middle of the party, like, where are we at? I can't believe you leave me like this. And, and instead, wait till he's had some food, wait till he's hung out with all his friends, and then come and snap the finger and say, where are we at? And all those things. She continues, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, the woman lay at his feet. Now, this is a pretty dark, weird, and there's a lot of sexual windows here. When you lay down, when the Bible talks about laying down, it, it, means, um, it means sex. Every time that you read about it and it says a man lay with his wife, that's what it means. And yet, this is not what's happening. When, when she comes in, there, Ruth was a godly woman. Boaz is a godly dude. I'm not saying what she did is like, you know, what you should do. But when she runs in, she uncovers his feet so that the wind would blow. And so the wind would wake him up and then she laid down next to him. Now, she didn't lay down next to him like in like a spooning type thing. She laid down at his feet in a position of submission. And yet Boaz is still startled. I mean, wouldn't you be startled, right? Um, I do some crazy stuff around my house, like really stupid stuff, I know. And my wife is always like, that's just stupid. You're a grown man. Why do you do stuff like that? Um, one of the things I like to do since we've been married is like pop out of closets and stuff and scare my wife. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes with like guns, knives, no. Um, so one time, I don't know why, it just goes off in my head and she gets up in the middle of the night to use the restroom and, and I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. So I jumped out and then uh, I got the pillows, the pillows you don't sleep on, which never made sense to me, um, the pillows that you don't sleep on, the big ones, and put them underneath my, uh, my side, put the covers over it, and then hid at the side of the bed. And so when she came out of the bathroom, turned the lights on, she got in bed and I kind of army crawled to the other side and then reached up, was like, Holly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> freaked her out (laughs) freaked her out man you should have been there (laughs) Holly knew that she went to bed next to somebody or pillows or whatever it was but Boaz went in there alone there's no way Boaz is thinking that some woman's gonna come in and uncover his feet tickle his toes and then wake him up he's startled and he continues in verse 9 he says who are you this is really important here. She says, and she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are my redeemer. There is so much in this, this, this two verses right here. When, when she says, I am Ruth, this is the first time that Ruth is given a name. When Boaz in chapter two goes to talk about Ruth, um, he asked his manager, he doesn't say this is Ruth, the daughter-in-law of Naomi. He says, this is the Moabite. And here's what she's done. Up until now, she's been known as the Moabite. I mean, and, and just the stigma that goes with, oh yeah, she's the Moabite. And Ruth is coming and saying, listen, I have a name. And I want you to know that, Boaz. I know it's weird that I'm in your room right now, but you can't just call me baby. You just can't call me, hey girl, you. I have a name. And she goes, my name is Ruth. I'm your servant. I'm here to submit myself under you. And then she goes forth and she says, spread your wings over me. Um, over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Uh, She says, spread your wings over me. And again right here, this is significant language that the narrator goes back to a prayer. And this time it's in chapter 2, verse 12, and it's when Boaz prays for Ruth. Um, 
when he's talking about her godliness. He says in verse 12, the Lord will pay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, same language, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. But Boaz says to her, because you love God and you submitted your, you submitted your whole life to him, and, and because you've done these great things for your, your mother-in-law, Naomi, this is what I'm praying. I pray that God would just bless you. I pray God would just give you a full reward. And again, in God's sovereign hand and his providence, he allows Boaz to be in the position to be the means in which he would answer their prayer for Ruth. This language here is Ruth saying, will you marry me? When, when people say that the Bible is oppressive over women, and especially the Old Testament, I say, you've never read Esther, you've never read Ruth, have you? Because this book happened about a thousand years before Jesus and about 3,000 years from now, and yet here's a woman who takes initiative. I mean, Naomi said, go this far and no further, let him do the rest. Ruth says, I will go this far, and then I'm going to ask him to marry me. It's just as awkward for us today as it was for them. But she says, listen, I don't know why you've been dragging your feet. I don't know why you've been slow, but here's the deal. You are in the position to marry me, and I want to marry you. This has everything to do with romance. This has everything to do with love. And, and some people just try to explain it away in some theological sense. This is a story. It's a narrator. It's a narrative. And the narrator says that Ruth goes to this guy whom she loves and says, will you marry me because you're the Redeemer? And, and what the Redeemer meant had a, had a spectrum what a redeemer could do. A redeemer during this time could do one of three things. One, the redeemer would do, he would stand as a defendant, as a champion, as a substitute. And if people lost their land or they went into debt, a close family member who would be a redeemer would step in and buy that land back for his family members. Another way was that if I owed somebody or if you owed someone a crazy amount and you just went into debt, you couldn't pay him, you would, you would sell yourself as a slave or you would sell one of your children as slaves. And a redeemer come in would say, no, I'll pay that debt and then free the child or free the man or the woman. And another way we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 25 is the Levirate. And what happened here was if a man was married and they had no kids and he died, a redeemer would come in, a brother-in-law would come in so that his younger brother or older brother would come in and marry his wife to have kids to perpetuate or continue his name because a name in that day was huge. And he wouldn't continue his own name, the redeemer, he would continue the name of his brother. So to be a redeemer was a big deal. And Ruth knows something about it, probably because she talked to Naomi about it, and she knew Boaz was a close relative, and she knew this. This happens to be the man who I'm attracted to. This happens to be the man in who I'm in love with. And it just so happened that he's in the position to answer the prayer that he had prayed. In essence, she says, put your money where your mouth is because you could do it. You could do it. If you really love me, if you really want to be with me, you can do it. And what Ruth is asking here, she's not just saying be with me physically, though she is, but this is marriage. Marriage doesn't tell just, just being with each other physically. It's physically, it's emotionally, it's spiritually, it's socially, and it's financially. It's not saying let's put our monies together and just live in the same house together and hang out. It's not saying let's just have sleepovers. It's not saying maybe we could just be with each other on the weekends. It's saying, no, all of me and all of you together, one. And, and not just at the beginning of marriage, but for those of us who are married, it's continuing growing together financially, growing together socially with friends and people and serving people. It's growing together spiritually. It's growing together emotionally, finding out why do you feel this way? How can I enter in? That's exactly the language that 
that Ruth uses here. She's saying, I want that. I just don't want the physical. I want all of it, and I want to give you all of it, and I just want to know if you would give all of it to me. It's a huge point here, a huge point of just saying I love you. And the, the only other time that we see this language used from a man to a woman it, it is in Ezekiel chapter 16, and, it, and it's, it's God speaking to his people. And it's the same language, the same ver- verbiage in 16 chapter 8. This is exactly what God says. When I passed by you again and I saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. There, there, there are several people who say Boaz is in a position now where he has the duty. He has the responsibility, and he has the obligation now to provide for Ruth and to be her husband. And I don't think that's it at all. Because Deuteronomy 25 is not this. Deuteronomy 25 says that the brother, Boaz is not the brother. Boaz is in no obligation. He has no responsibility. He has no duty to do this. If he's going to do this, he's going to do it solely because he loves her. And what she is saying to you, to, to Boaz, is be like God, because that's exactly what God does for us. God has no obligation. He has no duty and no responsibility, and yet God promises through the gospel to look at us in our destitute positions, not having anything to give, only to gain, and he says, yes, I will spread my wings over you. I will forgive you. I will love you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I love you. That's the gospel. Amen? Ruth looks at Boaz, and she says, act like God. Act like God. And at this point in the story, you're like, okay, what is he going to do? What does he do now? Does he really like her? Does he want to pursue her? Is, was this a little over the top, a little too dramatic? And he continues in verse 10. He says, may you be blessed, my daughter. You have made this kindness greater than the first, and you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all for you that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He goes, I can't believe you'd go for me. This whole time I thought, I, why would you go for me? I'm, I'm, I'm old, right? And I have no game. And there's all these other young guys. And, and you would go for me? Boaz is saying, I, I did like you. You know, it's kind of like the yearbook thing when someone writes in your yearbook, oh, I always thought you were cute. And like you read it 10 years later, you're like, dang, how come you didn't tell me that like 10 years ago, right? That, that, that's where Boaz, Boaz is like, I had no idea. There's all these young men running around that are way stronger and better looking than me, and you like me. Boaz is feeling good. And he says, this kindness, this second kindness, is greater than the first. And this has everything to do with her asking him to spread his wings because what she's saying is the first kindness that, that Ruth gave was the kindness of saying to Naomi, I'm, le- I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to be with you. Your God will be my God. Meaning you love Naomi, and now she's saying, you are not looking out for yourself. Because Boaz knows that Ruth knows if Boaz marries Ruth, not, and he becomes the redeemer for her by choice and love, not only is Ruth going to be taken care of, but Naomi's going to be ca- taken care of. And not only Naomi, but the name of Elimelech. That Boaz is saying, I will give up my name. I, I will disadvantage myself to bless not only you, to bless your mother-in-law, your, your, your deceased husband, his brother, and ultimately his father, so that this name may carry on. He's saying, wow, that's what type of girl you are. You are so godly. Everyone knows it. He says, the whole town is talking of you. You are a worthy woman, he says. 
And again, the narrator does it again in verse 11 when he says a worthy woman. This has the same language in chapter 2, verse 1, when it says that Boaz is a worthy man. And Justin said in the last two weeks that the book of Ruth in the Jewish Bible comes right after Proverbs 31. If you get the time to read Proverbs 31 and you read about this noble woman of character, what you'll notice is not only is she godly, but she's got a godly husband. And so if you're a Jewish guy reading through Proverbs and you read Proverbs 31, you have in mind this noble woman who has this noble man, and then you come to Ruth and you go, here's Proverbs 31 played out in real life. Here's what it means for people who love God to get together. It, they submitted them whole selves, their whole selves to God. And so this is picture. Now, now, now Boaz is saying, yeah, I'm in. I want you. Everything you said, all the spread, spreading the wings, the whole deal, I got that. I, I, I want to be with you. I love you. And then there's a catch in verse 12. And now it is true that I'm a redeemer, yet there is another redeemer nearer than I. What he's saying is this. Yeah, I am a redeemer, but there's this other guy. Did you not know there was another guy? And the other guy, we don't know his name. We'll find about it next week. And even then, it doesn't mention his name. The literal Hebrew means such and such. <laughs> like the dude doesn't even have a name. And Boaz is like, Boaz is like, listen, I'm still going to be godly, but this dude ain't going to get you, right? I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you. He doesn't love you. He probably just wants the land. And, but he goes on in verse 13. He says, but remain tonight in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And so she laid at his feet into the morning, but arose when one could not recognize one another. No, I have to just kind of clarify this right now. When she laid down, chances are that she laid down at his feet. They didn't snuggle together. They didn't say, okay, that since we're going to get married, like, let's go ahead and no. Uh, they kept it real. Godly person, godly girl, godly guy. So they, they didn't do that. And what Boaz is doing, he's protecting his girl because he knows two things. One, you should have never came over here in the nighttime. I'm not going to let you go out in the nighttime because all the other guys are hanging out at all the other threshing clubs and stuff, and I don't want them to come out and try to get you, so that's not going to happen. And he protects her reputation because he knows, hey, you're a Moab, you're a Moabite, and so basically people don't, people don't think you're a good person anyway in the sense because of your culture. Um, people think that you're promiscuous, and this just, let's just be honest, Ruth, this doesn't look very good. And so stay here, wait till there's some light, but before everyone wakes up, and then go home. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. And he continues to bless her in verse 15. And he said, bring me the garment that you were wearing and hold it out. So take your shirt, hold it out. And she held it out and he gave her, and he measured six measures of barley and put, and, and he put it on her. And then she went into the city, six measures of barley. You guys know how much that is? Six measures of barley. All right. <laughs> it's about 70 pounds. So he gives her all of this with, with the ideal of saying, God will bless you. And he speaks of a holistic God here. Not only will God bless you spiritually and he's redeemed you, he speaks of this barley has the opportunity to continue to reproduce and to meet your physical needs. It's a clear picture of our God who doesn't only redeem us and saves us spiritually, but he provides of us in their physical, our physical needs as well. And he continues to say in verse 16, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Ruth, how did it go? <laughs> How did it fare, my daughter? You know, Ruth, you know, Naomi's been back there just like, man, where's she at? You know, like, how far, wait, did she? No. You know, she's got to be waiting on her. Like, man, where have you been? How, how did it go? All of a sudden, the sun's up. Like, what happened last night? And um, Ruth, Ruth continues to tell her, um, how did it fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Boaz, now I said Boaz didn't have game. 
He doesn't have game in the way like, like the 20-somethings have game. He's got old school game, right? Like my grandfather's type game. He's like, listen, if you want the girl, who do you go to? Her mama. He says, listen, you know I like you, but listen, take these 70 pounds of barley and take it to your mom and say, hey, I got this. I got this. I want to date your daughter. It's like the equivalent of like chocolate, right? <laughs> I don't want her to be empty. And then verse 18, last verse, she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but he will settle the matter today. And I love the play on words again. First it says, I will find rest for you. Ultimately, your rest will come in Boaz. And now she's saying, wait, because this man, because he loves you, not out of obligation, not out of duty, but out of love, he's not going to rest now until he provides. And it's a picture again of Boaz being a type of Christ who leaves the comfort of heaven and who does not rest, who does not rest until he gives us rest in himself. It's a clear picture of the gospel of how God comes down to redeem a people for himself. Amen? So when we come to, just as we close, I got three things when we come to risky decisions in our life. Some, some, some things that we learn from the text. When it comes to, should we move to a new city? Um, who should we date? Who should we marry? How many kids should we have? Not, not just normal questions, but big decisions. Should we start a business? Um, should I leave this job to go another job? Here, here's just some principles we can have. First is always interpret your circumstance and your situations in response to God's character. Here's what I mean. Ruth, at first, she interpreted God in response to her situation. And that's why she said, oh, God, God just deals with me bitterly. That's what type of God he is. And then once she has an act of faith and repentance and sees who God is, now she flops and she interprets her situation and her circumstance of her and Ruth according to God's character. The reason why Naomi can be so hopeful in this because she's no longer a victim. Victims are the worst people, not because of things that have happened to them, because they stay there. The gospel redeems you from being a victim. The gospel redeems you to repent, forgive, and move on. And so she's got hope. That's the reason why she can give such a risky plan. She interpreted her situation, Ruth's situation, in response to a good God. The next thing is this. In verse 17, it talks about how she was... Boaz wanted to make sure that she wasn't sent home empty. Um, it's play on again in chapter one when she says, I left full, but I came empty. And yet Boaz says, your mother-in-law won't be empty anymore. And the same picture again of Boaz being a type of Christ. Um, when you make decisions, here it is. Don't make risky decisions on an empty stomach. I'm going to get there in a second. If you've ever gone grocery shopping on an empty stomach, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get back and you've eaten some food and you're like, really? Really? Jujubes? Did I, really? did I really need popsicles and everything else? And it's like at the time, you thought you needed more than you did. You thought those were legitimate needs because that's the way you felt. If you make risky decisions, if you try to get status or you try to get fame or you're trying to get a spouse or you're trying to get things because you think those things will supply, you will lose every time. Because only Jesus can supply, only the gospel can fulfill your deepest needs. And so in the same position here where Ruth and Naomi were widows, this is what the gospel promises. The gospel promises first that we are widows, and yet the gospel makes us the bride of Christ. It says it takes us from being orphans to being the children of God. The gospel takes us from being foreigners, from being sojourners for those without, to the gospel through Jesus Christ, he draws us near to himself. The gospel takes people like you and I as rejects who have 
bad reputations, and he clothes us in righteousness. He gives us purity. He saves us from wrath. He loves us, not out of obligation, but out of grace. It's the undeserved gift of God. When you get the gospel, when you get to see that Jesus gives you all things that pertains to godliness, now you can make whatever decisions that is that you have, which leads me to my last point. The last point is simple. Love God and do what you want. That's it. Love God and do what you want. And, and I'm going to close with this. Psalm 37, verse 4. Um, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, if you are delighting yourself in the Lord, he will give you his desires. It's simple. There should be freedom there. If you are pursuing God passionately, do what you want. It's People say, well, how, can you know, how could you know to leave Gilbert to come to Tempe? Because I wanted to. Uh, I love God. He, he, didn't, he didn't speak to me audibly. I it would be awesome if God would speak to me audibly. I would, I'd be telling you guys now, this is what he said. Man, he's got a deep voice, but he, he, doesn't, he, he, he doesn't speak to me that way. I believe that he can. He just, hasn't, he just hasn't done it yet. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give the desires of your heart. And then lastly, verse 5 in that same chapter, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Love God and do what you want. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this story. And I, I, I do pray, Lord, that uh, as we read this story, God, that we would think of our lives. We would see, God, that you are a good God and you provide for people who are in need. Lord, that you are a good God and you work through in your providence, Lord, and you provide and you move. And God, we do ask that um, by your spirit that we would see you move in our lives. Lord, we, we too live in a time in which it seems as if people believe there's no God. And Father, often we are tempted to do the same. Lord, in this story, we, we don't find ourselves to be as godly as Boaz, and we don't find ourselves to be as godly as Ruth. We find ourselves to be like Naomi. God, so often we feel empty, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and psychologically, Lord, and we need you to fill us. God, we know that you're, the promise of the gospel, that when, when the love of Jesus is applied to every area of life, it does change things. And so, God, we pray that you would change us and continue to grow us. You would change our family. You would change our city. You would change our workplaces to resemble, to reflect, and to praise to the glory of your name. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.